And so the doctor says, if that's my thermometer, then where's my GTA? <laughs> This is Jack, and uh, with me as always is the dude. Hey! So, dude, I, I'm back from the San Jose 5K. How did that go for you? Uh, like crap. Oh. Uh, yeah, my weenie just could not stand up to the pressure. A lot of heat, a lot of, lot of steam down yeah. there. Bo- looking looking Bosnia in the face, and it just went flaccid. Now, what, uh, yeah, what other kinds, so, so Bosnia was the, the deck that, uh, LSV had piloted at the last Pro Tour. At uh, yes, at Pro, the Pro Tour, Tour San Diego, and he went sixteen and zero with that. He broke a record. Amazing. Now, I mean, with uh, with uh, his deck being um, uh, scoring so well, even though he he went to the semifinal round. I mean, I I heard two guys talking about this the other day on a podcast. They're like, "Well, he didn't quite pull out with that deck." I wanted. To like murder this, I couldn't believe this guy said that. It's like here's LSV broke breaks this world record of going sixteen, six seventeen, seven times. So sorry, LSV, seventeen rounds without a loss. And yeah, he doesn't. He loses in the semifinal round, but he gets a lot more credit than just he didn't quite pull it off with Boss Naya. That's BS. Wait, he went seventeen rounds. I know that he won sixteen games. He went sixteen and zero before he lost his first game. So it was so it was sixteen and zero before he lost his before he lost his first game. Yes, I had totally misunderstood how that went. Yes. I thought I thought it was being judged on the fact that he had won sixteen rounds consecutively without. Dropping around in that sixteen, but you could very well be correct. Right. Yeah. He had he had won sixteen games, which is even more impressive. Right. Sixteen games and not a loss. It's like you're swept. Oh, <laughs> and then you, you're swept too. Right. You, I'm going to sweep under the rug. Right. You, I'm going to sweep right out of my hair. You know, like that's just. I'll I'm sweep sure. you over the stars. Right. Exactly. And, and and that's how it went. LSV's day at Pro Tour. San Diego. So, and then when you went to Superstars, which is the store that he is most identified with, and Channel Fireball, oh, yeah. um, being the internet site for that, um, when you went there, you said it, it dominated how much of the field when you... I would say it was probably 30 to 35% of the field. Boss Naya, 30 to 35%. And what what was the, fin- the top first place finisher with that? Uh, at, at the 5K, what was the top place? Yeah, this, this one that you played at. What, what won first? I'll give you two guesses. Um, uh, Mono Green Eldrazi out of, like, the blue, like some new incarnation. There was a Mono Green Eldrazi deck there. Really? Yeah. I was, like, pulling that one out of my butt. But, but that the, that's not what took it. Isn't that great about magic? You can pull so many wonderful things out of your ass. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, so, number one, Jace something. Jace and, Jace, Jace the Mind Sculpt, it, it involved Jace the Mind Sculptor, Halimar Depths, and, uh, what is that, uh, Patrick Chapin's plan. Whatever that other card is, I can't remember. 
Uh, Are you talking about the PCP? The PCP? Yeah, the Patrick Chapin plan? The Patrick Chapin plan. That is exactly what I'm talking It's It ran the PCP. Right. The top first no. deck PCP. No, PCP did not win. What? No, there was no winning with PCP. There's never any winning with PCP. Okay. I, I it hasn't it hasn't proven itself yet. Alright. So I'm I'm out of I'm out of answers here. So what vampires. Vampires first place. There there were some vampire decks there, but you know, they just like vampires, they, they still haven't quite formulated a good vampire deck and I still think that they all kinda suck. Esper! It was Esper, Esper Artifact. It was like some kind of crazy-ass Sharoom Tesserator hater, nasty, burning your face with the Strix love. Now, that would make a lot of sense with the Lodestone Golem that just came out in World Wake, you know? God, he is so sick, totally! <clears throat> Non-artifact spells cost one more to play. I mean, if you're playing a, a deck like that. But no, no, it was not Esper. It was... It was a Patriot uh, red, white, blue... Splash for Halimar Depths with the Volcanic Fallout and a little bit of Journey to Removal Splash O-Ring? No, no, it, it wasn't that. It, it wasn't that. Um, it, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, it was... Mono Blue. They went Mono Blue with the frickin' Sphinx City. So they Sphinxed out on you using things like the new uh, Snapping Turtle, the Convertible Turtle Head... With the right, the calcite snapper, <laughs> right? With the uh, 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 maybe a splash for white using the uh, celestial colonnades, but, but mainly mono blue, right? Um, of replication, it used right of replication. No, there was there was a white blue control deck going around down there, uh, but that wasn't what it was. Valakut, it was a mono red deck, it was a mono red deck that used some kind of ramp. To pull out seven mountains on turn six. Uh, there was an all-in red deck, and while that version just sounds awesome, I you know I really like the interplay of Valakult, but it, it wasn't. It was. I'm, it's the same deck we've been hearing about over and over again. What? Jund. <laughs> wow. You know, I'm glad that people are playing something new. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was playing a game against a Jund deck, and uh, the guy actually was able to get three Broodmate Dragons on the field, and I won that game. You know how many other games I won? Um, uh, no, I don't. How many other games did you win? Zero. Rough. So you went <laughs> one zero for four five. How did that go? I, I was zero four five. But I won my sixth game and lost my seventh. But you took Jund. Your weenie, your weenie took Jund. Yeah, my weenie, I smacked my weenie deck right against those Broodmate Dragons. Three Broodmate Dragons, Day of Judgment, weenie loving. I'm telling you, it, it just wiped out the dragons, and I was actually able to get a Captain of the Watch, and all my weenies were vigilant. They were standing up right after attacking, and I was able to swarm in and actually achieve what I was looking for. Like, throw that dragon a hot dog. So, so I'm, I'm kind of tired of playing around with weenies, though, and I think I'm going to move on to a cat deck. I really like the synergy between Wild Nacoddle and Loam Lion. Wow. Well, I'll be, I'll be kind of sad to see your weenie go, but I understand. So, you're, you're moving on to... Can I keep trying your weenie out online? Yeah, so dude built uh, my uh, soldier deck online, and I'm going to post this 
in the show notes of this episode, the deck build. Awesome. And I would like to ask our listeners out there to give us an idea of how to fix it and actually make it pretty com- more competitive. It was able to hold off a lot. I was, a- I was actually able to play pretty good, and if I hadn't pulled Jedi mind tricks on myself, like path to exiling the creature that was being path to exiled by my opponent in response, I might have gone somewhere with it. That was what what and 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 how what was your uh, what was your opponent's reaction to you pathing his path? Well, he was like, "Really, you want to do that?" And oh, he's like, "He's like, really, you want to do that?" And and uh, I was like, "Yes." And then I realized the folly of my move. Right. It was. I was under pressure, man. This kid must have been fourteen. I mean, this is like I I felt like. This kid's two years older than the twelve-year-olds that kick my ass. Uh-huh. You know, and and uh, yeah, it was no good. That's why I toughened up and I roll those little bastards hard. <laughs> I understand. So, but anyway, so it, I had thought I had in my sideboard originally brave the elements. Yeah. Okay. Right. And uh-huh. really, that's what my response was to do. Like, that's what my initial was, oh, this is a one-white spell, it's Brave the Elements. And then when I cast it and revealed it, declaring that I was targeting my captain, and then I realized what was going on, it was it was no good. And he had a Spark Mage on the field that is, is really what the intended target of that was, but I did not take care of that. I Basically, and then at the end of the game, the best part was, is my opponent looks at me and he goes, why did you path to exile your captain when I was path to exiling him? And I, the only answer that I could come up with was I looked him straight in the face and I said, I'm retarded. And I had to go with it. There was nothing else I could do. I think that's a great answer, and that's what I would have said, too. Yeah, it was awful. Oh, my God. So, but one of the th- cool things about that being down there... Uh, being retarded in San Jose? Yeah, but one of the cool <laughs> things about being retarded in San Jose was they mentioned that they're going to have a bigger event than a 5K at the end of March. And so I'm thinking that if it is a standard kind of thing, I, I think we should both go down there. Um, so, okay, so like um, for this last 5K, just for people that might not know how a 5K works because they're not officially sponsored, you know, you're not going to hear about them on the official Wizards Daily MTG site, you know. Right. Um, I, like, what is first place, like, payout? In the 5K, first place gets 1500 Holy crap loads, man. That's that's a shitload of money for Batman for uh, for just playing some magic there. Entry fee is... Uh, 25 if you do it in, in advance. It's 30 if you do it the day of the event. Uh, there's three flights. The most important thing is, is you have to qualify in one of the flights. So they have a Friday night flight usually, which... The uh, top eight players in that, you get three points per game that you win. The top scoring players throughout the whole event, the top eight, get moved into the actual tournament. Okay. And then they have a main flight, which was for, there were 90 players in the main flight for this one that I went down to. And the top 16 would have gone from that. Same scoring system. You win a game, you get three points. Gotcha. And then they have a last chance flight, which would have started at four o'clock. And the top eight get into the tournament. So at the end you have... So in the tournament there ends up being 32 players. And the, if you, you have to win your first game in the tournament to make the money at all. And if you make it to the top 16, you've made $100 already. Wow. So as soon as you hit that 16 mark, you're, you're making money. Right. You're getting $100. And then 
it starts to pay better at eighth. Eighth is like two hundred, I think. I can't remember what the exact payouts are, but it would be like two hundred for fourth through eighth. Uh, it seems like three fifty for fourth, or I mean for third, seven fifty for second, and fifteen hundred for first. Wow, that's that's a really good payout, and that's the smaller one. They're going to be having a bigger one. Yeah, well, they they didn't say they they, they hinted at. They were going to have a larger event. It's going to be big. It's going to be Rise of the Eldrazi big. Right. You know, so, I don't know, more money, more pay, more placings, more people. I mean, that's an amazing setup they have down there. It's They can accommodate quite a few players. I agree. I got to see Matt Nass while I was down there. He was ah, at the 5K. And, and how is the Grand Prix? Grand, no, I'm sorry, Grand Prix? Yeah, Grand Prix. Grand Prix champion doing He's doing very well. He was he was happy and smiling, and he made it into top eight of the five k. So I'm sure he wasn't too unhappy. He's a really nice guy. I, uh, Taylor and I had a chance to talk to him a little bit when he was doing Newbie and the Dude, and I don't know if you got a chance to talk to him when we were doing the show, but he was he was a really hip guy and was very open and gave his dad a big hug on camera and really cool, really good guy, and definitely knew his card flinging. You know, I watched him tap a few. So. um what uh, overall, you know, like, how did you feel about the five k? What did you think about the five k? Well, one of the things that I really find is that um, I don't really sleep very well the night before uh, for some reason. Like, I have to get up early for this, this. There's always something that gets in the way. This time I was in Oakland. I knew that it would take me an hour at least to get to San Jose, and so I got up very early in the morning and drove there at eight o'clock because the tournament started at ten, and I ended up in San Jose at nine o'clock. But I had only gotten a few hours of sleep because I was hanging out with friends until about 2 o'clock in the morning. And, yeah. So. It's hard when you're staying with friends and you're traveling, too. It's like, you know, you, you want to see them and you're going to be playing most of the day. So Right. My, my personal thoughts are, is the next one I go to, I'm going to go for the last chance flight. Because I'm only going to play one of the flights anyway. I might as well play the last one. It seems like it's smaller. Eight players get in. If I do well, then. And it doesn't start until 4 in the afternoon, which means if I need to take a little nap, I can actually refresh myself, make sure I eat a really good lunch and take care of myself before I go and play. And I think it's kind of interesting too because if you do that, if you you know, if you take that approach, you're you're going into players that you're going to see a few players that have been playing that morning that didn't make it maybe even the night before. Right. So and a little th- rummy, a little right, rummy could from be the fatigued, numbers. Right. If they're fatigued, I totally think that that's the direction I'm going to go is for the last chance. Jedi mind trick potential. Right. And the other thing is is that I found that being there alone and not having a group of players that I was playing with and being able to talk to while I was there uh, made it difficult. It's re- I think it's super helpful to have other individuals who are in the same tournament with you so that you can kind of bounce ideas back and forth. I and ran into this. What do you think? I did this. Right. What do you do? Right. Uh-huh. So I think that's really important. Group group, uh, group thought. Yeah. I, I, I totally buy it. And so you're going to um, post that deck? Yeah, I'm going to post that deck in the show notes and ask the audience to give me some ideas on how to revamp it for the next one. And a little deck doctoring from the audience is definitely appreciated. And maybe if they have a deck or two that, that you know they would like us to play doctor with them. Mm-hmm. We could do that. We, we're up to playing doctor. You can email us at dredgingforhumor at gmail.com. That is dredgingforhumor at gmail.com. All right. So I think we should take a little bit of a break, and on the other side, we'll come back and talk about our super secret stable stag parties. Brilliant. 
Hello, I'm Pete Redleach, and I'm here to tell you about the all-new exclusive limited edition Majors of the North Coast life-affirming fat pack, which is all that you really will ever desire. The life-affirming fat pack contains six holes for writing implements and pokey things, a spin-down life counter with kung fu grip, instructions on how to fold an origami Eldrazi symbol, a handcrafted fine Italian leather crown royal card the doubles of the dice bag signed by Rexy all the drunk and tickets for four for dinner with Kai Booty at Dave's Diner. But most importantly, our life-affirming fat packs include our patented body odor detector, which triggers life-affirming vocal responses when your mood swings. Phrases include, but are not limited to, Hello and good luck. Come on, top deck. You will draw the perfect spell. Don't worry, there's land on top of your deck. Your opponent's a loser. Fuck this game. Absolutely, get in a fat pack. You know, I love fat packs. I love everything that's inside of fat packs. I love the little card guide. It, it really helps me to figure out what I'm missing online. That's pretty much what I use it for. The die's nice, but I always get lost looking for the 20. It's a spin-down life counter, dude. Mmm, my bad. Uh, so, our next topic is... The Super Secret Sable Stag and Doe Draft Session. I'm so excited about this part of the show. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, we we uh, we hold a weekly draft that we do call the Super Secret Sable Stag and Doe Draft Session. Fairly weekly. Fairly weekly. Usually weekly. Pretty much every Sunday. Because mm-hmm. Sundays are fun days. Afternoony. Yep, afternoony. Because a lot of us sleep in. Especially on Sunday. Especially on Sunday. And why wouldn't you? Well, you might be me, and... You know, as soon as the sun rises, my eyes open. I, I, I have a problem. I swear I can't sleep past 7.30 in the freaking morning. Yeah, well, that's rough. I remember you mentioning that earlier uh, when you were talking about the superstars, how you had kind of a rough night before the, the tourney. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like, I can't do all-night raids because then I'm up for like 24 hours. Wow. You just brought me back there with the raves. <laughs> Music to love by. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's preface this by talking about how how did the super secret sable stag and doe draft sessions begin? You know, it kind of came out of a bunch of similarly minded players meeting each other in a similarly fashioned environment and connecting with each other with each other after the game. Yeah, we were all playing at our local FNM at the tiny little shop known as New Games, which is a great shop, but a tiny yep. little shop. They're great, you know, for what they do, except that they're tiny and it's uncomfortable to be in there and you have to play 13-year-olds. I love what they do for the pre-releases and, and yep. the giant space that they rent out for that, which is awesome. And some of us met others at those very pre-releases. That's true. So the Super Secret Sable Stag draft... Stag and Doe, Super Secret Sable Stag and Doe Draft. Absolutely. Is, uh, is not for your average Friday Night Magicker, I think. Absolutely. So it's, it really comes down to... The, it's, it was started with a group of friends, though, right? There were three, three of us, three or four of us... Right. ...who were at these FNMs, and we had gone to other friends' drafts, like home drafts and other things like that. Right. And... Uh, very infrequent, though. Very infrequent drafting, kind of once a every blue moon, two months, three months kind of deal. It was like, oh, wow, somebody got a booster because they went down to the Bay Area or something and picked up a box. But, yeah. Right. And then 
I think I ended up buying a box. You ended up buying a box, uh, and then the the whole uh, black border thing came up, where right. we where we were able to win the store credit for the top video for their contest. You're going way back here, yes. Yeah, this was uh, over a year ago. Yeah, and so that is way back, way Ooh. back here. Jesus, I feel the minutes just slipping by. Uh, so we ended up winning, and that got us a couple of boxes, and we kind of translated the idea into, well, if we uh, pay to play for these boxes, then we can continue the process. And So we put the money in responsible hands and did the drafts, and that kind of started this. Right, yeah. And it's, you know, we as we got more and more frequent with our drafting and more and more cohesive with our group, we had a better rate of that one draft firing every, say, couple of weeks or so. Right, exactly. And now we're actually pretty close to every Sunday. We haven't missed a draft for three weeks now. Yeah, yeah. We've been we've been rolling them out. And, um, and yeah, it's been, you know, and we, we players can't play. We fill up at eight, and we don't really have the space, you know, at our homes to go beyond eight. We've got one place, but besides that, it's like, yeah, we go beyond eight, and it's like, hey, we got to fit you in next week, and that causes another draft the following week because our group is expanding beyond eight. Right, and how did you meet some of the other people who we've invited? What was the the impetus for that to happen? Um, well, you know, it's like you're sitting, you know, it was actually, uh, well, let's take the last one, was the World Wake pre-release, you know, and I'm I'm sitting there, I'm sitting across this guy, I don't know, he's maybe my fourth round opponent or so, you know, and we're, we're you know, we've been slinging some cardboard, having, you know, small talk, and, and you just look across and you're like, hey, man, you know, you're wearing a Led Zeppelin button. I'm wearing a Led Zeppelin button. Man, what do you do? What are your hobbies? Like, you know, and the next thing you know, the conversation starts up and you start noticing more similarities. And uh, and that's always a good indicator of maybe a potential candidate for something a little bit more private. Right, and age is definitely a factor for the super secret Sable Stag and Doe draft sessions. Right, yeah. We Our listeners should be very aware that that's more of the audience we're gearing towards here. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, say, 14-year-old birthday party draft at Timmy's house. Yeah, the, I, nothing wrong with that. But ours are the, the super secret Sable Stag and Doe draft sessions are actually 21 and up. And we do that because... You know, it's it's like environs. You know, if you lived in Milwaukee, you'd probably be kicking back some Heinekens. Absolutely, yeah. Completely, completely known for their beers, the Vernon Shirley style. Mm-hmm. And if you're in Seattle, you might be kicking it back with a nice hot cup of coffee from your local, you know, coffee shop. Hopefully they're roasting their own coffee and trying to fight the man. Right, right. Merfolk coffee, for instance. Yeah, Merfolk coffee. Uh, so... But it's like our environs, you know, so we're we're here in Arcata, California, and, and you know, that's how I've met some of the people. I'm like, oh, you, you smell like I do. Right. And, uh, and so I'm like, then that always sparks a conversation. Absolutely. Um, we might go bowling. Uh-huh. Before going to the draft. Yep. A lot yeah. of bowlers up here. Right. A lot of bowlers. And, and you know, it's, it's really nice to see World Wake with the uh, plant lands, because it, it really kind of gives hometown theme to the to the drafts now. Right. After you've played like a black or blue deck, you're like, hey, you're going mono green too. Yeah, mono green too. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of conversations that happen around clones. Uh-huh. Cloning is huge up here in Humboldt County. Yeah, yeah. The right of replication. Yep. You know, always fighting for the rights. 
Mm-hmm. But other than that, that, that kind of gives you an idea of, of what goes on at our, our drafts. We, we do an untimed draft. So informal. Yeah, so informal. Everybody builds a 40-card or 40 or more card deck. Right. We bring lands. It's, a, it's really nice. And then what we do is we play Swiss-style rounds, whereas we give a pack out to each winner of each round. And then we keep ranking as well. And the person who actually scores the lowest, the, the worst player, gets a pity pack. That I and I think that that has been one of the the linchpins of our of our drafting group and why it's a good deal for the players. It's a good deal for us. Everybody gets to play magic, and if you totally suck out of the game, you still go home a winner. Right, exactly. You you definitely get four packs. We we charge fifteen fifteen bucks, and uh, you get four packs. And and what it basically does is none of us profit from any of this. Right. It it just goes into continuing the. The process. Well, the last time we ordered, the last two times we ordered three boxes, right? Right. So three boxes actually gives us three drafts for eight-player drafts, and so it, the kitty keeps getting bigger. Right, and that's paying out for the extra pack to the loser because right. of, of our structure. Right. So it's like as long as we can keep the boxes rolling over, we've got plenty of money to you know in the in the bank to just keep getting more boxes and turning over that extra pack to the eighth place. Yeah, we're really looking to try to get a case for Rise of Eldrazi. Yeah, that will be that will be huge. And I just really quick, I just wanted to say one more thing about that eighth place thing. It's like last week, right? We have we have a guy and he's drafted with us now three times, and each one of those drafts he has finished either last or seventh place. And last week, you know, was the same kind of deal, and I could kind of tell by a couple of his cards, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know if I'd main deck that. But in his draft, he pulled a foil. He not a foil, but he pulled a Jace. And yeah, I think it was his second, no, it was his third pack because we went ZZW. And it was just once he opened that Jace, you know, it it made a world of difference to him. It, the placing just stopped mattering. And he's like, I just paid 15 bucks for four packs of cards. That's cheaper than I can get if I go to a store and buy them. And totally. He was stoked. Well, yeah, anytime you rip open a Jace, you know, like that's just phenomenal. I would love to have that happen. It was really interesting because I, I didn't actually make it to the last draft. I was on my way home. Well, I did make it to the last draft, which is an interesting story <laughs> in itself. That was pretty funny. I was on my way home, and I was like, I had a thought about midway, I was a, maybe Ukiah. It may have been as far north as Garberville. And uh, I had a thought. I was like, somebody is going to crack a Jace at the draft. Somebody cracked a Jace. It was like, <laughs> I heard angels singing. I knew. I, it was like, I, it was like the fortunes, the sky. It was just, I knew. And when I got there and found out that somebody had actually cracked a Jace, I was amazed. I actually didn't go directly home after driving for five hours. We actually went directly to the draft, me and my girlfriend. We stopped, got a movie, and then went to the draft, whereas I found out that they needed a player to fill in for another player who had to go to an appointment. Right. It was very confusing. It was very confusing, (laughs) and he was actually the player, he was the fill-in player for the person who drafted the deck who had to actually go to work. Right after his first game, he had to bail. Right, and so, so the second player filled in, Took or lost the second game, and then I filled in, took the deck over, and I actually beat the dude. Yes, you took me in in my final round, which would have earned me my second pack, damn yous, 
But um, at still at the same time, it's just like I, I totally admired it because here's this deck that's been bouncing around, and it's you've got a variety of play styles. You know that deck was was played completely differently by somebody else in the round just before me. Right. It was cool. It had some awesome cards in it that fell at our sovereign. Oh god. And the uh, Terastodon. Yeah. Yeah. Those two cards. Terastodon is a first pick. If you see that card, you go mono green. Just that's this is my advice for drafting with World Lake. The old Old elephant signal. Yes, exactly. Oh, I love that card. Fuck it. No, I can understand how you might feel that way. I mean, I, I basically wiped out the most important thing on your board and then gave myself two elephants and had a 9-9 creature, and that, that can get pretty upsetting. Man, it was, it was like me and my elephant. It was like a disturbed jungle book. I want to walk like you. <laughs> I want to talk like you. I want to play Terastodon and stomp all over you. But yeah, it was it, it's pretty interesting. You know, like, we do other things that... Speaking of the player who built the deck. So, he plays with very special tokens. Yes. The, wow. Excellent segue. Um, yes, he does play with very special tokens. And I didn't realize until another person just told us recently that he has a... Penchance? Penchance? Penchant. A penchant for these types of cards. So he has a penchant? Penchance? <laughs> penchance. Uh-huh, yes, yes. Yeah, he, he likes playing with these with these types of cards for his tokens. And I will say they have flavor. So, so what's on the cards? The cards feature various uh, women in various poses with various lackings of clothing. That's pretty interesting. Uh, so there was a woman at the last draft last week, and it, it's funny. The, the the women who come to our drafts, like my girlfriend likes to play a really good, mm-hmm. a really good friend of ours is a pretty regular. They, they all kind of have our same, you know, askew sense of humor. Yes. And would be fine with all of these things. It's one of the reasons that this thing is a 21 and up kind of thing, you know, because we're, we're, we don't want to care about the rule about preserving the game state for 13 and up. We just want to... Uh, you know, provide a space for preserving the the head state of players 21 and up. Right. Absolutely. Well said. Completely well said. So, so, so there's these women on the card. So, so you would say there's like boobs? There are boobs. There are breastuses. And tits. And some of those. And, uh, yeah. So they're, they're like, where do, where do you think he got these cards? I'm positively sure he got them on the strip in Las Vegas where... These types of tokens can be found rather easily. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a thing for those of you that have been to the Strip in Las Vegas and have walked the Strip in Las Vegas, which is basically the main boulevard that connects all the great, huge, big casinos. Um, you will be accosted by uh, several, multiple, not several, multiple, hordes, hordes of gentlemen all trying to slip you porno cards. And these porno cards are for strippers and numbers you can call for escorts. And, of course, pornography is illegal in Las Vegas, but that doesn't stop the uh, people that will come to your hotel room and do things for money. Anyway, um, so there's a whole technique that these guys have. I mean, you really have to go to Vegas to check this out. Um, 
it's a it's a slap you you just have to imagine yourself you know being over the age of 21 in Las Vegas probably you have a beverage in your hand if you've never been to Vegas alcohol is legal in the open on the street if you are listening to this in Iowa perhaps then you don't know this this might blow your mind i don't know but yeah people just drunk people everywhere rocking around with open containers full of booze and uh and being accosted by people with porno cards and so they'll they'll what they'll do is they'll they have these guys have these stacks of porno cards and they smack them as you walk by and the smacking sound makes your attention divert and you instantly turn your head and look at whatever is making this weird smacking sound to your right or left and as you look you're like oh my god this man is handing me something because you don't you don't even see him handing it's the hands already outstretched and you're like oh wow i'm in las vegas i'm drunk right and we're programmed as magic players you know like when someone puts a card in our hand we immediately want to look at it and read what's on it it's when we don't recognize it absolutely like oh what does this card do oh it's a phone number and a woman who's taken a lot of yoga classes so you're you're looking at the card and you're you're looking at the card and you're like, wow, this is a picture of a naked woman that I have just actually taken. Now that is the mistake, is to take the card. Like you said, as magic players, and this was probably my issue as well, while I was down there, uh I kept taking the card. As soon as you take one card from one of these guys, it is over. They will swarm on you like a school of piranha. And, and all of a sudden you have like a 60-card deck in your hand? You, like, like 30 cards, 60 cards, just shot under the card as you're like, whoa, woman on the cut. And like before you can even finish that thought, you are holding, you're holding a constructed deck in your hand of porno. Wow. Yeah, it's, an, it's, it's intense. So, so our friend plays with these cards. As tokens. Right. So so I'm wondering if there's like – so if you got enough of these, you could actually customize it for the super secret Sable Stag and Doe draft sessions if – like what if they had like midget porn? You could use them as your Kithkin tokens? I we, Yes, absolutely. In fact, I could totally – especially this gentleman in our group, I could completely see him playing with midget token porn. And, and like the goth chick tokens, they, they could be like your black zombie or vampire tokens? Yeah, definitely. Like your S and M theme, you got like a weird vampire. Sure, absolutely. You know, and and then there's probably like hippie looking ones on the cards. There's got to be hippie looking ones. They could be like your your druids or your elves. Definitely elves. I could see that. Yep. Uh huh. And the ones that have girls in hot tubs, they they could be like for your merfolk. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, merfolk token, like uh, 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 dressed in feathers, bird tokens. Sure. Sure, whatever it may be. Well, She looks like she has flying. Well, you know, since we've talked enough about boobs in the Super Secret Sable Stag and Doe Draft sessions, yes. uh, we'll, we'll move on to a break and uh, pick it up on the other side. Hey, you. Do you know me? I bet you don't. I'm a Peter Takuchi, and I kind of see that you have a curvy deck. And you say, why? Why'd you pay the Takuchi? You need a Takuchi clamp with the Kegel Springs. You say, why'd you pay the Takuchi? I say, you play the promo? You say, yes, yes, you pay the Takuchi. I play the promo. I say, use the, the clamp. You play the promo? Agabish, Kabish. Go out and get yourself a Peter Takuchi clamp, guaranteed to keep your foil straight. 
All right, we're back. And that last message was brought to you by Peter Kikuchi. Mm. Uh, they make great clamps with uh, Kegel Springs. Yeah, yeah, great clamps. I have a brass one. Yeah, I need to borrow that if I could. My Broodmate Dragon is kind of separating the top half of my deck from the bottom half of my deck by about a half inch. It's uh, basically folding in half. Mm. Yeah, that'll straighten that right out. Although I do kind of want to run a science experiment with it and see if it will actually touch corners at some point. Huh. Because, you know, I live in we live in a pretty humid environment, and it's very possible for my foil to actually curl up into a, a spoon shape. Huh. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of common up here. Has that ever happened to any of your uh, foils? Um, yeah, some of the ones I got down in the bay, uh, but then I bought the uh, the Turkucci clamp, and the Turkucci clamp has totally worked out for me, and it's straightened them all out. I play with my foils all the time down at our local game store. Yeah, I noticed that. That all-foil deck was pretty awesome. Did you actually uh, buy all of those Alara foil packs to build that, or did you just roll some 12-year-old? Um, no, actually, I, I bought most of them because, oddly enough, no one else was, and I got a good deal. So, uh, Yeah, I wonder why no one was buying those. So, I, I figured they'd be snatched right up. Yeah, speaking of Snatch, I really like that movie, Snatch. Right, with Brad Pitt? Yeah, that's the one. I, I re- it was an awesome movie, and speaking of movies... Mm-hmm. The rumor mill this week has been all about uh, how Hasbro is talking about making a Magic the Gathering movie. Absurd. Yeah, can, you can't imagine them ever doing anything like that. They, they've never done anything like that before. Not that I know of. I mean, can you imagine a Transformers movie? Mm, ooh, that'd be hard. Or, or G.I. Joe? No, no. I mean, Cobra Commander. Who'd play Cobra Commander? I have no idea. Sir Lawrence Olivier. Yeah, potentially. So that brings us to a brand new segment of our show. Yes, yes. It's it's called Celebrity Wheel. I'm so excited. So Celebrity Wheel is we, this week what we've done is we put a bunch of directors on the board. Uh, Quentin Tarantino. Gus Van Zandt. Mel Brooks. Uh, Ridley Scott. Yeah. Um, M. Night Shyamalan. Sam Raimi. Jim Henson. Yeah, so we put them all on there and, and we're going to spin the wheel and... We're going to, whichever one it lands on, we'll, we'll talk about what it would look like if Hasbro had this director make the Magic the Gathering movie. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd all, be fun. all right, so you ready, dude? I'm, I'm ready. Here we go, here we go, and I'm going to spin the wheel now. Here we go. Woody Allen, Rob Reiner. Ooh, ooh Steven Spielberg. Ooh, Quentin Tarantino. Wow, dude, this this one's gonna be tough. What what would what would a Quentin Tarantino magic movie look like? Okay, well, uh, first you need uh, setting. Yeah, where would that be? Uh, I'm thinking Lorwyn. That'd be awesome because then Steve Buscemi can play Sig the River Guide, but it would be have to be like right as Lorwyn's shifting into Shadowmoor. Yeah, yeah, that would be like that would be like perfect, and it would have a scene with like planeswalkers that have names starting with Mister. And then, like, a deck name. Right, so, like, Mr. Jund. Right, or Mr., like, All in Red. Mr. Boros Bushwhacker. Absolutely. Okay, and they're they're planning a jewelry heist that they haven't got to yet, although you get the feeling that this is actually going to be a flashback scene. Right, a flashback scene, and that's actually a flashback scene of, uh, of a Johnny sitting across from Elspeth. Right. Uh-huh. And, and they're, they're sitting in a, in, a, in a cafe somewhere. Right. In, in the modern world, because I, I have a feeling they're going to go a little modern world if it's Quentin Tarantino. Right. And so so they're sitting across from each other, and and uh, Johnny reaches for his wallet to pay for the meal, and he's like, I, I can't find my wallet. And Elspeth's like, 
well, I, I just found a wallet, but I don't know if it's yours. What does your wallet look like? And of course, a Johnny would respond by saying something like, uh, it's, it's the one that says, Bad Mother Furry. Right, and right at that point, a bunch of ninjas run in with Hanzo's Jite. Right, Hanzo's Jite, of course, because it, it would be like the Kill Bill saga. It was like a continuation. And then, sh- movie ends. That sounds about like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Right, and then you gotta wait for part two in December or whatever. Well, that was pretty fun, dude. Do you wanna, do you wanna try to spin the wheel again? Yeah, that was kinda cool. That was kinda cool. Uh, we can give it one more. I mean, we can always come back to this in the later show, but you know, while we got it up, why don't we go with it now? All right, well, I'm going to reach over here to the wheel again, and... All right, here we go. Sam Raimi. Kenneth Branagh. Wow, it landed on James Cameron. Wow. James Cameron. I I honestly think that he would be a great candidate to direct this movie. You think? Yeah, absolutely. He seems like he has his... Mind in the right place. Uh, I mean, he's basically already got the graphics to fill in the uh, Orin Reef trees. He, he could make it all about Zendikar. I mean, there's floating shit in his skies, too. Absolutely. Plenty of yes covers to go around. Well, dude, James Cameron. So we got James Cameron. Uh, I, I think I'm going to leave it in your hands. What kind of movie do you think James Cameron would make? Okay. The magic movie, according to James Cameron, starts off aboard a boat. Right, and it's Leo DiCaprio and Sigourney Weaver in this weird kind of relationship where they finally find love and they dance. And you've got both of them at the front of the boat with the arms outstretched, except that the boat hits an iceberg. And Leo, the poor Irish kid, falls over, sinks to the bottom of the ocean, and becomes an inkwell leviathan with the help of Lorthos the Tidemaster. Meanwhile, Sigourney Weaver continues on the on the parts of the boat. She floats to an island on, on the surviving wreckage of the ship. And on this island, she strangely becomes a blue merfolk cat person who can breathe underwater and plug her braids into things. And that can ride a bird. And she rides the bird and helps her people come back um, to actually fight this inkwell leviathan that she doesn't know is really Leonardo DiCaprio, and it climaxes into this huge battle that's totally encapsulated by the overall theme of being good to old people. Wow, I think that you hit the nail on the head with that one. Hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, James Cameron would be great. The only problem with James Cameron is it'll be 2025 before it's released. I'll be 50 years old, and I won't care anymore. So true. Well, I think that uh, that's what the movies look like for us. and uh, We should do this again sometime. This would be good to kick the old wheel around again. Definitely. I think the wheel might become a, a more common segment of our show. All right. Well, we're going to take another break, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Are you looking to trap yourself a raging cougar, but all you seem to draw in are lone lines? Then it's time to throw out your old 9th edition newbie booby trap and get yourself a brand new Grape Health Hunter Cougar Trap, guaranteed to attract only the finest of out-of-print kitties. I bought a Grape Health Hunter Cougar Trap, and now I have a knack little fella doll for every day of the week. Just yesterday, I trapped a stonework puma, and I had to discard it and rebait the trap. Within minutes, I had drawn in all the cougars I could ask for. So if you want to be a first-class fur trapper, go out and get yourself a great pelt hunter cougar trap and get trapping.
Hey, this is the dude you've called dredging for humor, and guess what? We're busy. So leave your name, number, and we'll get back to you as soon as we're done winning the Pro Tour. Boop. On the next Dredging for Humor. Do you like big butts? Well, so do we, and we'll tell you how much as we go over all aspects of Felidar Sovereigns. We'll examine the joy the band experienced when he cracked his first mind sculptor. The dude will overcome his fear of water and play blue. We'll talk about how his fetid flyers swept the sable stag. We'll have an in-depth interview with Antoine the Ghetto Sage. Yo, man. Need protection? Just say Jerry. And we'll have a staring contest with the Eye of Eugene. All this and more on the next Dredging for Humor when we pull out the heavy equipment. Lightning bolt costs one It's perfect when you're playing red You know it's too damn good You have to put it in your deck Every time Even if you're playing black Splash it for their attack Then just sit back and laugh Sarah in the sky 